Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today I'm talking to Josh Spector, audience building expert and author of the most condensed newsletter that I've ever read. Seriously, some of his emails are just a single sentence, but that sentence usually packs a punch. We talk about consistency, finding sponsors for your content, and how to be interesting in front of interesting people. Here's Josh. So Josh, your newsletter is a single paragraph of text with a sponsor link where you don't even mention the name of the sponsor. And I don't think any of these things is a best practice anywhere, but it does seem to work incredibly well for you. Why is that? Why does it work? Why does it work? Uh, well, it's interesting. So let me let me give let me start with sort of the backstory of how I wound up doing that because it it is a little unusual. Uh, basically, you know, I've had my newsletter is called For the Interested. I've written it for uh, over six years now, uh, and originally it was a weekly newsletter. It came out every Sunday. Uh, a collection of basically links and summaries to articles and resources to help people grow their audience and business. Uh, it worked really well. And I, uh, I also work as a consultant and I help people uh, grow their newsletters as well. And one of the things that I would, uh, when I'd have conversations with people about newsletters, they'd always go, oh, it seems like a lot of work. I'm not really a writer. They'd have a million reasons why they you know, were scared of doing a newsletter. And I used to say to people like, look, a newsletter is just a value delivery mechanism, right? The idea that a newsletter has to be long, has to be what mo quote unquote most newsletters are, isn't actually true. And I said, you know, I bet you a newsletter could be as little as a sentence. As long as that sentence was valuable, people would love it and they would keep opening it. And I kept saying this over and over again. And somewhere along the line, I was like, well, I do actually believe that. Maybe I should try that. Like, I keep saying that like it's fact, but I think people would like it. I don't know. So I started as a sort of side project, this sort of separate newsletter that I called The Daily Graph. And I didn't lock myself into a sentence, but I locked myself into a paragraph, right? So I said, this is going to be a daily newsletter. It's going to be one paragraph, usually one paragraph and a link. Sometimes it is as little as a sentence. And let's see what happens. And I promoted it in my newsletter. And I have about 20,000 uh, subscribers in my newsletter. And about, you know, over a couple of weeks, about a thousand or so people signed up for it. And I did it for a couple months and I found people loved it. That number one, they were opening it, you know, daily newsletter can be a grind for a lot of people. So number one, for me, because it was so short, it was actually easy to create daily, right? I would never do a daily newsletter that was like a long, full newsletter. That'd be way too much, uh, too much work for me and too much for people, I think, to, to get. But I found that people opened it because they, number one, it was valuable. They liked it. So my theory was correct. But they also knew, and I found this in my own behavior, that there were newsletters I really liked, but that sometimes I knew if there was long and there was a lot of stuff, I would hesitate to open them. Because they'd be like, I don't have time to read that right now. I'll get to it later. But the newsletters I opened the most consistently were the ones that were short. And I knew I could quickly skim it, you know, whatever. So I found that to be true as well, right? People would open it every day because they realized this is going to literally take me five seconds and I'm either going to click the one link because I'm interested in it or not, right? It's not, it's not a big commitment. Um, so what happened was it was 
going really well. And the types of things I was sharing was audience and business growth tips. It was similar to my main newsletter, but just a little different. And I got to a point where I had a couple thousand people maybe getting it. Uh, but then I had 20,000 people over here. And so instead of trying to get them to opt in, I said, you know what? What if I just combine the two newsletters, start sending it to my whole list and allow them to opt out if they don't want the daily? Uh, and so that's what I did. Cause I said, I think a lot of these people are going to like it. They just don't know. They don't want to go to the trouble to sign up for something else. So I did that. I said, look, now my for the interested newsletter is going to be this weekday one paragraph thing. And the Sunday one is still the a full longer thing. And if you don't want the daily, you can opt out and just get the Sunday. And some people did, but not that many. So literally overnight, I went from a daily that was going to 2,000 people to a daily that was going to almost 20,000 people. The other thing that I noticed and the other reason why I did this was because when I was sending the daily before I merged them, the clicks, the engagement was massive. And I could tell, and at that time I wasn't running ads in the daily, I was just running them in the Sunday one. And I realized because it was so short, because it was so simple, because there was basically one link to click, that if I sent this to my full audience, the engagement was probably gonna be massive and the engagement on the ads would also be massive. And that's exactly what happened. So that made the ads way more valuable in, because they would drive way more clicks. Um, I sell them packaged. So when people buy an ad in my newsletter, they get a mention in the Sunday and they're the sole sponsor of a daily one. So there's five ads in Sunday, one ad each day. Uh, and to give you an idea of how different the engagement is, and this is such a uh, such an example of less is more, I will get uh, more clicks on one link in my one paragraph daily newsletter than the 15 or 20 links combined in the Sunday newsletter. The engagement is massive. So that's sort of how I kind of stumbled into it. Um, but it's worked, it's worked really well. Um, and in terms of, in terms of not mentioning the brands and the ads. So when people buy an ad, they give me the copy for their ad in the Sunday issue. I write the copy for their ad in the weekday issue. My goal when I write that copy, and it's just a sentence, there's no images. It's not like the traditional ad. It's a single sentence with a link. And my goal in my mind, what an advertiser is paying for is they want people to go into their world, right? To their website, to their landing page, to ultimately buy or take whatever action they want them to take, right? Most of my advertisers, it's not a brand awareness play. They don't just, oh, there's that company I've seen a million times. It's like, get them into that world. So my goal with writing the ads is to, what is the sentence I can say that is gonna make my audience most likely to go check out their thing because ultimately that's what is going to serve them best, right? They're not going to drive sales if they can't get people into their website or landing page or whatever. So the, I sort of, again, sort of stumbled into it, but I'm, you know, it's not clickbait. I'm not misleading people because that doesn't do me or the advertisers any good either, but I am driving curiosity, right? So like if I was to promote uh, your newsletter, I wouldn't necessarily say, or your podcast, they wouldn't necessarily say, go check out the bootstrap founder, blah, 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 blah. 
I might say, go check out one of my favorite podcasts that's a must watch for anyone that's trying to grow their business or startup, right? That little bit of curiosity to drive people there. And, and I know my audience and what they're looking for. So I write that copy in a way that appeals to what they're, uh, what they're looking for. But the combination of that with the just minimal nature of it has led to, to really good engagement. Yeah, I bet. I, I, I've seen your emails and I get them every day and I find, find them very, very exciting all the time because it's just always a masterclass in, in doing it right. And what I, what I found is that you, you seem to have really understood the concept of prox proximity. Like both in terms of the ad, right? The ad is very close to the only text that's in the email. So people's attention is going to be on that sentence. And then there is the link, right? It's not like hidden two scrolls down or behind some image somewhere. It's right there. So that's proximate to, to the content that people enjoy. But what you do in phrasing it this way gives people proximity to you. So you become the gatekeeper into that world where your advertisers, your sponsors want people to go. So you have this kind of double-sided proximity effect, both in proximity to the text and to you as the person formulating it, which is such an incredibly alluring thing. Like, I want to click on this, even though I don't care often about the product that's being advertised. It's, it's bizarre. Right. It's really effective. So I, I quite Thank enjoy you. that. I, I think, there, I think there's, two other, there's two other pieces about it or elements that I think have... Um, helped it work well. Uh, the first is just sort of basic, right? There's a lot of trust. My audience trusts me, right? They know that if I recommend stuff, they know I'm not going to recommend something I don't believe in. They know I'm not going to be promoting stuff that's sketchy or shady or, or anything like that, right? So that's basic, but I think it, it really matters. And I've been doing this for a long time. And so, you know, the other thing is if the, if the stuff I'm sharing not the ads, but if the content I'm sharing is regularly valuable, they're a lot more likely to click the the ads, right? So the other, and I'm not hiding, I'm not pretending. It always says, you know, today's email is brought to you by blah, blah. I'm not pretending it's not a sponsored link. Like there, there's none of that. Um, so that trust factor helps. The other thing is, and I think this is really interesting because I've talked to people that run ad networks and stuff and, you know, because they're amazed by the engagement I get on my ads and the click through and that stuff. And what's interesting is people as users, as, uh, as consumers, we're used to tuning out ads that look like ads, right? So the fact that there is no image, the fact that there is no big brand logo, that there is no any of that stuff, it feels a lot more like my ads feel like content, right? And I think that makes a huge difference. I think a lot of these brands that are thinking, oh, I want this box and my brand and logo and my copy and my whatever. While I understand that, I don't think they realize that most users are tuning that out, right? I subscribe to so many newsletters that have the spot at the top that says, you know, sponsored by blah, 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 and whatever. I, and I think lots of other people just scroll right past it, right? And you actually train your readers to know that that top spot is just an ad and I don't care and I go I go past it. You're never gonna get the click if they're not actually reading it, right? So I think the fact that the ads don't look like ads also makes a huge difference. Um, and that combination of trust and value and you know people actually like my ads because they're fit and they're relevant and all that stuff. Um, makes a huge difference compared to, I think, the way most people do ads.
Yeah, it's, it shows that you have a, a quality expectation and that you do some vetting, right, on the people that you mm. suggest their products off. Like you don't, like if you phrase your own sentence to get get people interested in a, a sponsored product or an advertised product, then you have to at least understand what it is. And if you, in figuring out or trying to figure out what it is, learn that it's not something you want to sell, then you don't run the ad. So obviously, you know, it's it's a very clear message that you actually condone whatever they want to sell to people uh, which which is powerful i feel and you're right in in my own newsletter i i very much highlight the fact that it is an ad for fear of people not seeing that it is one but i i don't let anybody advertise in my newsletter that i would not want the to buy the product off myself like the people that advertise on on my thing i, I really check that stuff out because i want it to be founder compatible bootstrapper compatible and all of that kind of goes into it so why wouldn't i just tell people hey this is kind of cool <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm, I'm trying yeah, to learn from you about, as you could probably tell right this is yeah, important yeah no and it's 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 more it's more valuable and i also think that you know the, and this has nothing to do with like, I'm a decent copywriter and all that, but it has nothing to do with copywriting skill. But the truth is no one's going to know what resonates with my audience better than me. Right. So that's why I, the, one of the reasons why I have them give me copy for the Sunday issues, cause I can see what, okay, what do they want to play up? What's the angle that they want to promote? So now I understand their point of view and then I'm going to translate that into language that's going to, that I think is best going to resonate with, with my audience. Right. And so, whereas if they gave me no copy, that would be hard because I'm just looking at their sales page or looking at whatever. It wouldn't be hard. I could do it, but who knows if it would align. So getting the copy from them is like, okay, I see you want to play up these features. I get it. Let me talk to, you know, and you might see, for example, little things, right? Like somebody might have a product that, uh, they they say is aimed at startup founders, right? But I know my audience, even if maybe doesn't use, they don't think of themselves as startup founders, right? This product might help a lot of my audience, but those words are not the words that my audience uses, right? So I might change that to creative entrepreneurs or you know whatever it is, or just play up the thing that it will help them do, right? Get more, you know, drive more sales or or whatever it is. And those are little things that like no brand or advertiser is going to know um, nuances of your own audience. And the other thing that I would say uh, about this also is that. Um, understanding understanding your audience and and you know my most of my advertisers are my readers i don't have i'm not doing sales outreach other than promoting it in my newsletter it's basically a self-serve ad system you go to fortheinterested.com/ads for anyone that's listening and you pick a date and you buy your ad and you send your copy and we're we're off and running um it's really different if I was out approaching brands going, Hey, I have this thing you don't know anything about want to want to advertise in it. Um, and so I think that helps too, that the at most at, in terms of relevance of advertisers, most of my advertisers are my audience in some ways, which is also cool and helps. Guess that works pretty well without our, within our industry, right? Entrepreneurs, yeah. right? Of, of people who have some, some interest to bring a product into their own community as well. It's kind of entrepreneurs serving entrepreneurs. That makes sense. I, I think you found a good way to do this. Um, did, did you try other ways of, of getting people to, to run ads on your newsletter? 
So again, it's the ad started. Uh, so I'll give you sort of a, I know I told this story before, but I'll give you sort of a quick version of, of the origin of my ads. And by the way, there's uh, my podcast, which is called I Want to Know. Uh, there's an episode uh, there that is all about how I do ads and how I started it and my whole sort of ad system. Um, but the short version is this for the first like four years or so of my newsletter, I not only did I not run ads in it, I was strongly anti ads, right? I was like, it's not, uh, it's not good for readers. The interests aren't aligned. Now you're sort of serving the advertisers. It's annoying. They're interruptions. I was vehemently like against advertising of all sorts. Then I had this thing happen where one of my readers reached out to me and she was a therapist who uh, specialized in helping creative people. And she said to me she had run a classified ad in Ann Friedman's newsletter and that it had done really well for her. And she said, it's like the best marketing I've done. Uh, I got just the right people and the right clients and whatever. Do you know any other newsletters that have a similar audience that I could that I could run ads in? And again, this was a few years ago before the sort of newsletter ad thing really took off. Um, and, you know, it struck me that I had her audience Right. I was a perfect fit for her. I just didn't have ads or anything like that. And uh, so when I when I took a step back and thought about it, I said, well, you know, I have this sort of principle in my mind that advertising is bad and my newsletter is never going to have ads and, and all of this stuff. But are they really so bad? Here's a woman who's in my audience who has a good service to read to offer that would help my audience. Lots of people who you know are looking for a therapist or, you know, whatever. Um, so it would help my audience. It would help her. It would help me in terms of, cause at the time I did no direct monetization of my newsletter. So the only reason I'm not doing this is because I have this idea in my head that ads are somehow bad and going to ruin everything. Right. Uh, so what I decided to do, I was like, well, let me at least ask my audience and see what people say. So I sent out a one question survey uh, that was basically like if I included uh, classified ads, I think I called them classified ads at the time. If I included classified ads in my newsletter, uh, one, would you be curious or want to read them or see them? Uh, it was multiple choice. Yes, I'd want to read them. Uh, the second option was I'd want to read them and I might want to buy one. And the third option was I hate ads, don't include any ads. Um, I was shocked 90% of people 90% of the people that responded said they'd either want to read them or might want to buy one. Only 10% mm -hmm. said, I hate ads. And wow. I saw that and I was like, well, I'm completely wrong. <laughs> like, like this idea that ads are going to ruin my newsletter, I couldn't be more wrong. And in retrospect, uh, this was brilliant, but I, it was completely accidental. I didn't realize it until I was down the road. So once I realized like, okay, well, maybe I should try this ad thing. I also realized that I had, you know, whatever it was, 50 or 60 people had said they might want to buy one. I had basically done lead generation before even launching the ads. So I took that list and before I even announced it, I started emailing those people who said they might want to buy one. And I said, hey, I think I'm going to do this. You said you might want to buy one. I priced it really low. Uh, it was like $50. Um, and sort of said, this is what it's going to be. It's just one ad. And there was no daily at that time. So it was just the, the Sunday issue. And uh, I sold out, you know, the first 
three or four weeks before I even announced that they were available. So when I announced that they were available, I was able to say, hey, I'm doing ads. I sold five per issue, just a sort of random number to limit availability. Uh, and I was able to announce it and have people go to the site to buy and see that the first three or four issues were already sold out. So I purposefully, this is a whole other thing. There's a, uh, my background, I used to work in the comedy industry for a while, uh, producing shows. And so I always, I always say to people, it's like, if you think you could sell 75 tickets to a weekly comedy show, would you rather book a 50 seat venue or a hundred seat venue? And the answer is you should book the 50. Most people would say the 100 seat venue because I can sell 75 a week. So I'm leaving money on the table. The answer is the 50 seat venue because the perception and branding of a new show being hot and it being tough to get tickets leads to creates the whole perception that this is a good product that ultimately in the long run is going to help you versus there's 25 empty seats at every show and I can go whenever and, you know, et cetera. So I took that and applied that to this, right? I priced it low. I wanted it sold out. I wanted so that when from the very first time people saw it, they were like, oh, these ads must be good. These ads must be, you know, it was a desirable product. Um, and it went from there, knowing that I could raise the price over time. Uh, and they've sold out almost every week since. And that was, you know, a couple couple years ago. So that's uh, that's sort of the the quick backstory of how I got into the ad business to begin with, because I was very skeptical at wow. first. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of what what drove me to wait for a hundred episodes of the newsletter before I started with it too. It's always this weird perception that marketing kind of destroys the purity of a product, but if the whole idea of the product is to connect information with people and people with people and and products with people or ideas with people, then advertising is just another way for people to connect with a certain thing. And this is something that I had to unlearn to actively unlearn is the idea that advertising is always malicious that somebody wants to push some Thing I don't want on me. It's not the case, right? People pay to be in my newsletter to talk to other founders, to show them what they could potentially use to solve their problems. And if it's not good for them, they click and nothing happens. And if it's good, which is likely because it's vetted and, you know, it's it's uh, somebody who wants to help them, then it's there's a chance that there is a business relationship com coming out of this at some point, which is the whole point. I want to empower founders to build better businesses, right? So it, it kind of, you have to understand that advertising most of the time or sponsorships, whatever you may call it, whatever you may call it, is alignment. It's not, it's not diffusion. It's actually alignment. So I, I'm very glad that you explained it this way. Also how it came to be, because I think that is a great way to, for people to understand how advertising is something that naturally comes with a bigger growing audience. When your audience grows, more people come that might be interested in talking to the same people. It's like a fan club, right? If you are in the Harry Potter fan club, you want to talk to other Harry Potter nerds. That's just the idea. And if you have something cool you want to show them, well, you post it in whatever Discord that I'm totally not in. You you might be communicating with these people, right? Like that's that's just how that works. And then from there, information just springs out and, and people are super happy that you shared it. And then add is just the exact same, particular in, particularly in our community. Yeah, and I think I think that's especially true. One of the things that I that I came to realize through doing this was that the uh, the ads are if you people talk a lot about like this is a way to monetize my audience, right? But it's actually a way to serve my audience. 
if you have an audience where members of your audience want to reach other members of your audience, offering ads is actually serving them. Because you're creating and going back to that first example of, of the therapist, right? She was in my audience and wanted to reach the rest of my audience, right? And the rest of my audience was going to find value from what she had to, to offer. So understanding the, mind, the, the mindset shift to going, okay, offering ads isn't just sort of taking advantage of my audience. It's actually serving them. Uh, and then the other thing is when you have that situation where members of your audience want to reach other members of your audience you also can potentially get in a place where, because the other thing that held me back from ads and I think holds a lot of people back from ads is it seems very complicated. I don't want to do sales calls. I don't want to cold call brands. How am I going to find advertisers? If you have the type of audience where that matches, right, where your audience can be your advertisers, that removes all of that, not all of it, but it removes a lot of that other stuff. Because that was the other thing that held me back was like, it seems like a lot of work. I don't want to spend my time you know, negotiating deals and tracking down leads and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it doesn't work for every newsletter, but I think for a lot of newsletters, members of their audience want to reach other members of that audience. And I think then it can be a really good, good fit. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of the show. MicroAcquire is a free startup acquisition marketplace that connects founders with serious buyers to help get their online businesses sold quickly and easily. MicroAcquire has been sponsoring my podcast since the beginning, and I'm excited to share their plans to help more bootstrap founders succeed. Starting in 2023, they're rebranding to acquire.com to show the world that they can help startups of any size get acquired. Their mission is the same to help founders achieve life-changing outcomes and continue building game-changing tools that make acquisitions easy for all. With over 35,000 messages sent between buyers and sellers in any given month, if you're thinking about testing the acquisition waters, now is the time to join acquire.com. Yeah, you're giving me great ideas on how I can incorporate that particular part into my newsletter as just a little sentence, right? If you wanna reach other entrepreneurs that read this newsletter, here you go. And I have this in there, but I, I, I phrase it differently. So thanks for that already. And one, sure. one thing that, that comes that absolutely very clearly comes to mind is that for this to work, you have to have a high quality audience. You have to have the right people in that audience, right? You have to have the people who would be interested in helping other people or be helped by people in their community. And you said two things recently that I found very interesting. One was you have to not just be write a good newsletter you have to write pe the people's favorite newsletter you have to become their most favorite creator because that that kind of aligns you know the the quality of the, the person with the quality of the creator and the other thing was that if you have too many anonymous accounts in your social feed in your follower group you have a problem and both of these yeah. indicate from two different sides how important quality of an audience is can you tell me more about how to maintain and increase and improve the quality of your audience uh, sure. So let's start with, I think the key to growing an audience is providing specific value to a specific audience, right? Alignment and specificity is really, really important. And I see a lot of people where, and this extends to products and services as well, but even just from an audience standpoint, there's not alignment, right? They say they want to attract these you know, these people, but they're talking about stuff that appeals to other people and sometimes successfully. Right. And then they go, I don't understand why I'm not getting clients or business or sales out of this. I'm growing my audience. I'm growing, you know, I have newsletter subscribers, 
but it's not leading to anything and they, they leads to frustration and all sorts of other stuff. Right. So even defining that term of what is quality audience mean, I think is really important. And, and to me, quality uh, is, is about in some ways that alignment and trust and engagement. Right. So for example, like uh, this is an extreme example, right? I could tweet funny cat videos all day and maybe build a bigger audience. It's not going to get me anything, right? <laughs> right? Like it's not going to get me clients or business or, or, or any of that, any of that stuff. Um, so I think that alignment part is really important. The specific value for specific people, which is where I sort of start with everything. And I have people ask me all the time, they go, well, you know, how do you define value? What is valuable? And I think in 99% of cases, value is transformation. People are at point A, they want to get to point B. Your content, your product, your service, whatever you're offering them is the bridge that gets them there. There's a transformation. If there's not a transformation, I, I differentiate between valuable and interesting. I see a lot of people sharing content that's interesting, but not valuable, right? Interesting content is I read it and I go, okay, like that's interesting to hear what's going on in the creator economy, or that's an interesting new take. There's nothing for me to do with it, right? It's the difference between, you know, a lot of times valuable content, not always, but a lot of times can be how to do this, how to, how I did this, how to get from here to here. You know, when I, sh the, the content I share in my newsletter, cause there's a mil, as you know, there's a million newsletters out there talking about creators and entrepreneurs and founders and marketing and all this sort of stuff, right? And I think one of the differences and one of the things that makes mine stand out is I'm only sharing stuff that's actionable, right? So I literally will ask myself, what can someone, if I'm gonna share this article or this video or whatever, what can someone do with it after they read it? And if there's nothing they can do with it, it's just interesting and not valuable. And therefore, I probably won't include it in my newsletter, right? Not always, but the vast majority of the time, that's what I'm looking for, right? So the other thing that happens in terms of quality audience, so if you're putting out content and attracting people or putting out content that offers actionable, transformative value, you're attracting an audience that wants to take action and wants to transform and wants to get from this clear point A, this is the specificity part, wants to get from this clear point A to this clear point B. If you have that, that is a high quality audience, not only for yourself, but for anyone that wants to reach them versus what a lot of people do, which is, hey, here's some interesting stuff about X, Y, and Z topic. And, and this also ties into what I said about needing to be someone's favorite newsletter, not just you know, it's funny, people think about getting someone to subscribe to your newsletter, they think about it as a high bar. Oh, to get them to give you my email address. And it is, like, it's not a low bar, like to get someone to invite you into their inbox. But that's only maybe half the battle, right? Because the real question is, how are you going to get them to open on a regular basis yeah. your newsletter, your emails, your, your whatever, right? And that's ultimately what you want because then subscribing and not reading doesn't really matter. And that's where I think lots of people subscribe to newsletters that are quote unquote interesting, 
but they read newsletters that are valuable. And that's a, wow. that's a big difference. And I think a lot of times people think once I got the, they're so focused on getting that subscriber that they're like, oh, I got the subscriber. My list is growing. Check. But I'm like, but are they reading it? Are they, are they, and not just opening, right? Are they reading it? Are they engaging? Are they clicking? Are they replying? All those other things that, that really uh, convey a true quality audience. It's, it's kind of, it's almost surprising that we don't really understand that immediately as creators, because in the software as a service world, customer retention and customer like service, customer success, and, and even the idea of this, this kind of customer nourishment, like share value nurturing, nurturing, right? That's the idea. Mm -hmm. That's the phrase there where we show people how useful the thing that we offer them is all the time. Then we don't translate that into periodical content, which is kind of just a, an information subscription, not a software, mm -hmm. but an information subscription. Uh, you, you can learn a lot from the software as a service space when it comes to these kind of things. I also think you can learn a lot from your own behavior as a consumer, right? I subscribe to a ton of newsletters and there's a lot of them that I open sporadically and there's some of them that I open all the time, right? And so why is that? And, you know, a part of it, again, for me, that's what led me to this sort of shorter format, because one of the things I noticed about my own behavior was here's two newsletters that I really like. And this one I open all the time when I get it. And this one I open sometimes or get to it late. And I, and I asked myself, like, why is that? And I was like, oh, because this one I know is like a 30 second commitment, at least to find out if there's something in it that I do want to click and dive deeper And this other one, I'll give you a perfect example. And I don't mean this as a criticism because it's, it's probably the best newsletter that I hardly ever read. And it's Dan Oshinsky's not a newsletter. Are you familiar with that? Mm. Not so that he so sends is he sends, I think he sends it monthly. He actually, the newsletter is actually a Google doc, which is sort of wild format, whatever. Um, And, you know, he sends it once a month and it covers like everything related to like newsletter industry, media. It skews a little bit towards like mainstream media publications, but it is packed with a million awesome things about newsletters. It is I'm in that industry. I'm a perfect fit for it. And I don't even know how long it would take to go through it each time. And I find myself every time going I don't have time to look at it now. I'll look at it later. And sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And it's not a knock on the newsletter, but it's a, it's a user behavior. If he was sending me, uh, even if he was sending weekly a much shorter version of it, I'm sure I'd be way more likely to read it. Um, and again, not a criticism of it. People love it. It's very successful. It's really good. And look, there's different readers and audience are going to respond to sort of different formats and different things. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be for me, but that that's an example of, of for me that I see like, you know, there are a lot of new, there are a lot of newsletters. I'm like, that's really good. And I really like it. But if I'm being honest with myself about my own behavior, I don't always open it. I don't always read it, you know, and, and there are reasons for that. Yeah, I, I'm very similar to this. Like, I have lots of them, and I use Hey as my email client, so they all end up in the yeah. newsletter kind of marketing stream. So I sometimes occasionally scroll through there, but the couple they don't go into that stream. A couple that actually go into my inbox and, and yours yeah. is in there too because I don't want to have to go to the other thing to see the little things, right? The, the small little updates that are sometimes mm -hmm. 
like in your case, just a paragraph. That's enough. That, yeah. I can open an email, quickly read it, and get back to it. I, I sometimes struggle with this with my own newsletter because that is obviously a 2,000, mm-hmm. 3,000 words uh, essay. It's essentially an essay mm-hmm. in, in a newsletter shape. Uh, but, but I figured that people who want to read that essay – they they will be my subscribers, right? It's not mm-hmm. people like me who d- don't want to read this long essay. I write it. I don't necessarily. I mean, I do read it, right? I never did it into my my phone phone or into this this kind of mm-hmm. camera for the podcast. But I'm not my own necessarily reader in this case. And I create content mm-hmm. for people who want a thoughtful essay every week. And you create content mm-hmm. for people who want something nice every day. These are two yeah. distinct, potentially overlapping, but they are different audiences and that is perfectly fine. Right? It's it's mm-hmm. kind of it's interesting because everybody is trying to find the perfect audience. But mm-hmm. we should all be looking for the perfect audience for us, right? For what we yeah. have to offer. I think that's yeah, that that's kind of what I what I realized is that it's fine. Yeah, the one thing I would say to you, and again, this is like, because I get this question all the time about, you know, do you put the full essay or newsletter in the email or do you have them click through to somewhere or whatever? Um, and there's no right or wrong. There's there's pros and cons to, to each of them. One thing that it would be, I'd be curious in your case, right, is if you, instead of sending the full essay in the email, right, if you had a shorter version, a summary, the first couple paragraphs, whatever, and then have them click to go read it. What I'm curious about is, because you're still sending, that you're not shortening the newsletter, it's still the same content, right? You're just shortening, again, going back to newsletter as delivery mechanism, right? <clears throat> I would be curious if people would more consistently open your newsletter because this is my theory, right? This is what I believe. It's not necessarily correct. And every audience is different. I, in general, because I do the same thing, right? Sometimes if I have a long blog post, like I don't put the whole blog post in there. I do a quick little, quick little summary, right? Because I want people to open it and not feel like if they open it, it's going to be an epic long thing. If they want to read it, they'll click and they'll, they'll go read it. The advantages of it that I see are, I do think it helps send the message that, this quote unquote newsletter in my inbox isn't work in the moment. So I think in general, people are more likely to open it. But the other big advantage is when you send a, when you send a full article in the email, you don't really know how many people were interested. You don't know when people read it or not. You don't, you don't get that click number. So you don't know, you're not able to go, wow, this, you can judge the subject line a little bit replies you get, you can kind of judge like this one seemed to strike a nerve or not. But having those click numbers as an indication of how interested your audience was in that essay, to me, I think is also an advantage you get from driving them elsewhere. Um, And then the third advantage is you're driving them into your world, right? Because assuming you're driving them to your website where the article lives, uh, that creates a bunch of other potential good things. Number one, they're in your world, they're in your website, they can see different things. People are way more likely to share from the website than in an email. And maybe you have share buttons. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it goes. But my guess is you'll get more social sharing if they read it on your site than you will in their inbox. Um, so again, not that there's a right or wrong, um, but those are, from my perspective, that's that's why I've always done it the way I've done it, as opposed to full articles in there, because I, I think there's some advantages to it. But the flip side is there's people that are like, 
there's people that that are like, oh, I hate that. I just want to let me read the thing in my email and you know whatever. So again, there's it's no one right or wrong way, but. I very much agree. There, there are many, many different ways, and I'm willing to experiment with that kind of stuff, particularly now because I'm kind of shaking up my whole content strategy with having interviews like this very interview part as part of my podcast. I didn't used to have this. So my weekly piece of content, I would sit down on Monday, write something that I wanted to write about anyway, right, and and get it into the podcast form, get it into the YouTube video, talking into the camera form, and then getting it into the newsletter and on the blog. It's like four different distribution channels for the exact same thing but now that i have the video which is often related like the interview to the the thing that i then write about in the newsletter but not necessarily now you have two things that i kind of want people to to see both of them both the interview and my thoughts about it right so it might make sense to summarize my thoughts into something shorter link them to the blog where they can also find the video and then have a kind of summary of the video as part of the newsletter i i'm i think i might actually run with this and see if that creates uh confusion it's worth looking an ex- forward to that it's stuff, worth an ex- but it's, also if it's yeah. an opportunity it's worth it's worth an experiment um and, you know, even, you know, be interesting, even if you did it for a month or so and just sort of see and compare like, okay, well, what, you know, what happened? The other thing I would say, cause I'm, I'm similar to you where, you know, I have done 20 or so episodes of my, I want to know podcast. Uh, and it's the first time I've done any video stuff. Right. So just like you, I record these conversations, I'm putting them on YouTube. So I'm learning all that you know, all all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff as we go and learning, growing a podcast and YouTube channel and and all of that. Um, And like you, so now I have this video slash podcast to promote every week as as well. And one of the things that I just started uh, doing, uh, which is uh, working well and a tip I would give you is when I share the episode, um, I also include, so my episodes are about half hour, 45 minutes. Uh, I'll share the link to the episode and whatever summary description. And then I'll add a thing that says, you know, make sure you don't miss this must see moment at the 22 minute mm. mark or whatever it is. And have, so I actually have two links. I have a link to the full video and then I have a link to that minute of the thing. And what's really interesting, I'm just, I'm actually just pulling up right now. Um, this week's one, what I've seen is so, okay. So here's an example. So the one, the email I sent yesterday, my newsletter promoting this week's episode, um, I'll actually read you, uh, which was an episode with Roberto Blake, who talks about, uh, YouTube and it, he, he shares a lot of great stuff. Um, so here was my, I'll just read to you what my, uh, full this was my full newsletter from yesterday i guess it was uh it says roberto blake is a youtube expert with 500,000 subscribers uh and he just told me the secrets to success on youtube what to do in your first 30 days and how to protect your mental health as a creator if nothing else check out what he said at the 356 mark i've never heard another expert say it okay so that's what that's what i sent and I got 201 clicks on the episode, which the link copy was secrets of success on YouTube, right? So 201 people click that 304 click the check to see the must see moment. So in total, I get five, you know, over 500 clicks to it. 
but a three to two ratio of people clicking for the must-see moment. And I think this also, obviously that's a, a tease, right? It's a little clickbaity, but not really. He did say something at that moment that I thought, you know, that I genuinely thought was interesting and I hadn't heard anybody uh, else say. Um, I also think though, so I've consistently seen higher clicks on the must-see moment than the full episode. And I think it also speaks to what I'm saying about people's time sensitivity, right? Oh, I don't, I want to watch this podcast, but I'll get to it when I get to it. Oh, there's a must-see moment. I'll click that right now. And it's probably going to take me 30 seconds or a minute or whatever. It's the time commitment, right? Like there is an investment that, and this is so true of all content, right? Your decision to read or consume any piece of content or anything, even if it's free, is a time investment. And people are factoring that in at all times. And I think to the extent that you can lessen that time commitment up front, they'll dive deeper if they like it and they're interested in it, right? If I know Arvid's newsletter is going to take me a minute to look at, I'm just more likely to open it than if I know it's going to take me 10 minutes or whatever, right? So I think that it's it's really... Uh, Time sensitivity is a huge thing. And I think a lot of people sort of overlook it and just think, well, if it's good enough, if it's quality enough, that'll be great. And and ironically, like, so people click, and I this I can't track, I have no idea. But uh, my guess is if they click that link for the must-see moment and that 30 seconds or minute or whatever it is is really good, they're going to keep watching. It makes them more likely to watch the full thing or listen to it or whatever, Right. It's, you know, I'm selling, quote unquote, selling the content as opposed to just going, hey, I got a new podcast. Here it is. I think you'll like it. That's that seems to me the most surprising part of this, because I when I think about sample content, I would just like take it out, put it in its own video, post that on YouTube or post that on Twitter and then link to the original. But if you link to the actual sample content within the video you want people to watch, they're already there. They already. Yeah, they're already there. They only need to scroll back. And they start from the beginning and then they can watch the whole thing and they probably won't mind listening to the most amazing part twice anyway. So it's really not a loss in there, right? That's a really good idea. Man, you're full of great ideas. Did you know? <laughs> it's really cool. Thank Thanks you. for all that. Thank you. And by the way, I do both of those things, right? I still share clips and I still mm -hmm. I still do the, the traditional thing. But yeah, I literally, it's just something I just stumbled on because, you know, like you, it's like, all right, well, how do I want to promote this podcast in my newsletter? You know, the other thing I would say is, in the beginning, let me just look at that newsletter again. So in the beginning, the newsletters I would send to promote my podcast would be like, oh, new in this week's episode of my I Want to Know podcast, blah, 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 blah. Uh, this one, I don't even mention it's my podcast, right? Roberto Blake's a YouTube expert, 500 subscribers, uh, just told me the secrets to success on YouTube. I don't mention it's from, and, and again, Theoretically, I think people hear podcasts and they go, I don't listen to podcasts or that's long or I don't have time to whatever. Um, by the way, I'd say that's the other thing about writing these one paragraph daily newsletters was a really has been a really interesting exercise because it has forced me to think about how how little I actually need to tell people in summarizing the thing. Right. So a perfect example like of this, like, do I need to mention that this is from my podcast, that this doesn't matter? 
Like what is the what is the the real essence of what matters here? And that is always, you know, what is the the sort of immediate value for those people? And it's made me realize how much even in short summaries, right? Like how much kind of fluff there is in stuff, right? Does it matter, you know, if I'm sending, if I find an article, or here's a good example, right? Let's say I was linking to something you wrote, right? Does it matter in that summary that this is from Arvid, this is from the Bootstrap founder, or does it just matter what it's about? And people will go there and see that it's Arvid and see that it's whatever, right? So really trying to remove so much of uh, so much of that stuff has been interesting. And I think also part of why people like it, right? It, it just gets straight to the, to the point. Yeah. You have this empathy with the needs of your audience. Like it's very noticeable when I look at your emails because you, you cut away all this stuff that is just like extra context that is not really needed. I mean, it's nice to have the context of who wrote this or where it lives or what format it is. But hey, if it's a podcast and you click on it and you don't have time to listen to it now, that's all right. You'll find time later, but you already clicked on it. It's somewhere in your circle of what you can do with it, right? You you don't pre-decide that, oh, no, I don't have time to listen to a podcast now and then you don't click it. So you never see what, what was in there for you. So it's, it's it's a much, uh, much more interesting way of presenting information. And I think people want the information. They don't want the context, which is why I think there's this, this empathy level. And you have this, uh, this concept that, that I find very interesting is that you, you understand the difference between what people want to consume and what creators want to create. And then you err on the side of what people actually want to consume. Because as creators, like I said, I write these things because that's what I want to write. But maybe people want to consume this in a different format. So I have to think about that, which is why I even started a podcast. Somebody told me, hey, I love your text. I love your gigantic essay, but I have no time to actually read it. But I do commute. So if you put this like in an audio format, I might actually listen to it on my way to work, which is why I started. And now here I am. So it's kind of thanks to that person, I guess. But it's just understanding what people want and what people need, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's bizarre. But I, I love how you do this. Understand. I mean, thank you, first of all. Um, and yes, I'm always, I'm always thinking sort of audience first and also relevant. So I'll tell you, and this is a perfect example. Uh, and I, I'll say I don't mean to criticize a lot of people with their newsletters, but they're <laughs> probably going to about to feel criticized. Um, but, you know, I'm so amazed at there's some things that you see over and over again that have become not standard practice necessarily, but very common. And I look at them and I'm like, I don't know why people are doing this. Right. So the first thing is people that like in their newsletter intro, hello to my 26 new subscribers. Why does a reader care? Good for you. I'm happy you got 26 new subscribers. I understand what you're trying to do. That's a waste of the reader's time. That provides no value to them whatsoever. They don't, they don't care, right? The other thing is you see a lot of newsletters where they spend, you know, the first two paragraphs are them telling you what they're about to tell you. You're just like, you know, in this issue, we're going to talk about blah, blah, blah. And, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Well, people understand they can just scroll down and see one, two, three, four, five. Like you're just wasting, you're just wasting time and lengthening your newsletter. And what's funny is, you know, their intentions, they think their intentions are to help the reader, right? That's why they're putting that in there. 
I want to give people a summary. I want to let them know what's what's in this thing. Their intentions are not bad, but I think if you step back, it's like, why do you need to tell people what you're about to tell them? Wouldn't it be better to just get right to what you're, you know, get right to telling them that? Um, the other thing I always find interesting is, uh, and this again goes back to newsletter length, like I'll talk to some people and they'll go, oh, I could never, you know, I could never publish this more than twice a month. And then you look at their newsletter and it's like a novel. <laughs> I'm like, why don't you just cut this in half and publish each half weekly? I don't mean like one long article. I mean, like they're sharing 25 different things. And I'm like, you could pub easily just cut it in half. Like nobody needs 25 things twice a month, you know, share, you know, five things once a week. Uh, and it'll be better both for them and them and you. Um, so, yeah, I think it's tricky. And look, different audiences want different things. But I do think it's really important uh, to sort of check everything that you're doing and going like, is this actually helping people? Like, why would the reader care about this? And and I should add the, you know, that doesn't mean you can't sell in your newsletter and promote your products because theoretically your products and services should be helping them and people should care about them, right? So just because it's in your best interest doesn't mean it's not in your audience's best interest as well, right? So this is not a don't ever promote your stuff in your newsletter thing. This is, you know, look at every element and go, and by the way, like this is an evolution. I've been doing my newsletter for six years, right? So I used to have a bunch of that stuff. I used to have a, you know, random photo at the top. I used to have a quote at the top. And then I started looking at it and was like, and this goes back to interesting versus valuable. I was like, is this quote really helping my reader? Like, yeah, it's an interesting quote, but every week I have to find a quote. I don't know that it really matters. Like, you know, is my newsletter less valuable because I don't have some random cool photo I found on Unsplash? Like, probably not, you know? And so there's lots of those things that, you know, that you're, that are adding time that you have to spend creating, but probably not necessarily uh, adding any value. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this. I think um, you, you've been on this journey building a media business and you recently shared like the things you do and all the little parts of it. And I found that very interesting because it pretty much mirrors what I'm doing. And I, I'm, I'm wondering for somebody who's starting out, for somebody who's just like building a business and they want to reach an audience or they just want to start, you know, figuring out what they what they have to say and what they're, they're interested in. And maybe they found something and now they want to build a media empire themselves with a podcast and a newsletter and social media presence and info products and courses and all that stuff looming. Like, where do you start? Like, how, how do you go about this? What are priorities? How would you do this now if you were to start from fresh? So a couple, a couple of things. So the first thing I would say is most of this stuff, quote unquote, stuff that we do, newsletters, Twitter, content, blogs, courses, most of these things are tools, not goals in themselves. So a lot of times I would talk to people and they go, I got to get more followers. I got to get new, more, more newsletter subscribers. I got to whatever. And I was like, for what? Right. So like, what are you, I would, it's funny. I do uh, a lot of like social media consulting. And when I used to have initial conversations with people, I'd be like, all right, let's talk about what your goals are. And you can't mention the word social media or followers. 
Like, what are you actually trying to accomplish separate from all this stuff? So that's always my first question, right? Like, what is your goal? What do you want to do, right? Then with that, I would say, okay, who do you need to, the next question is who do you need to reach to accomplish that goal, right? The question after that is what do those people value? Not what do you want to create? You have this goal that you want, and I'm not talking about art now, I'm talking about business, right? So your goal is you want to do X, Y, and Z. You need to reach these people. Those people value this. How can you provide that value to those people for free, right? So now your, your content, and, and there's lots of different ways, right? But you, you, know, you might go, okay, I can provide that value to them on Twitter by sharing these kind of tips or in a newsletter by doing this or a podcast by doing this or whatever, right? But this goes back to alignment, right? If you answer those questions in that order, you wind up with alignment between your content, your audience, and an audience that ultimately aligns with your, with your goal, right? So that's where, that's where you, that's where I would start with most people. And then you can get into which tools am I going to use and that. The other thing I would say about tools, especially when you're starting out, uh, most people try to do way too much stuff. Uh, one social media platform, I always recommend a newsletter because I think email is the strongest connection you can have to an audience. Um, so that's where I would recommend that most people start. And in terms of content and what do I talk about, I think an easy way to start for people who really aren't sure is, you know, now that you know who your audience is that you're trying to reach and you know what they value and what they want, just start by making a list of 20, 30 questions that those people have actionable stuff that's going to help them get from the point A to point B. And just start creating content, whatever format, around those around those things, and then you're at least on your way. That sounds like a really good strategy. Very audience centric, very straightforward. Not too many things at the same time, and focused on solving actual problems. I love that. I'm a big fan of that. I, I was gonna say it's, it, it echoes your uh, <laughs> embedded entrepreneur. You you wrote a whole book about it, so which I loved, by the way. And and that's the whole point, right? The the point is to to figure out different ways of essentially giving people the right tools. And your your approach, your description of it is, I think, just as not if if not even nicer than mine. So I love it. I really enjoy it, man. Right. Thanks so Thank much you. for for being on today. That was that was really sweet. If people want to find find out more about you, if they want to talk to you or hear from you, yes. where would they go? Uh, they can go to joshspector.com. Uh, they can get my newsletter there or go to fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, as you know, all the time, uh, at jspector, <laughs> J-S-P-E-C-T-O-R. Uh, and my podcast uh, is on all the platforms. Uh, it's called I Want to Know. Uh, you can also go to joshspector.com slash podcast uh, to see it and see some uh, different episode highlights and that kind of stuff. I highly recommend it. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Josh. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to uh, it's great to actually see you in person. And uh, yeah, <laughs> we, I feel like we've known each other on Twitter for a long time. And, and this is taking oh, yeah. our relationship to yeah. the next level. That's cool. right. We're leveling up. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, on. exactly. <laughs> Thanks. And that's it for today. 
Thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my books on my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me in this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in the podcast player of your choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will really help the show. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.